chapter twenty one of how to succeed or stepping stones to fame and fortune this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org how to succeed or stepping stones to fame and fortune by orison sweat marden chapter twenty one above rubies the best way to settle the quarrel between capital and labor is by allopathic doses of peter cooperism talmage in the sublimest flights of the soul rectitude is never surmounted love is never outgrown emerson one ruddy drop of manly blood the surging sea outweighs virtue alone outbuilds the pyramids her monuments shall last when egypt's fall young he believed that he was born not for himself but for the whole world lucan wherever man goes to dwell his character goes with him african proverb the spirit of a single mind makes that of multitudes take one direction as roll the waters to the breathing wind byron no say what you have to say in her presence too said king cleomenes of sparta when his visitor anastagoras asked him to send away his little daughter gorgo ten years old knowing how much harder it is to persuade a man to do wrong when his child is at his side so gorgo sat at her father's feet and listened while the stranger offered more and more money if cleomenes would aid him to become king in a neighboring country she did not understand the matter but when she saw her father look troubled and hesitate she took hold of his hand and said papa come away come or this strange man will make you do wrong the king went away with the child and saved himself and his country from dishonor character is power even in a child when grown to womanhood gorgo was married to the hero leonidas one day a messenger brought a tablet sent by a friend who was a prisoner in persia but the closest scrutiny failed to reveal a single word or line on the white waxen surface and the king and all his noblemen concluded that it was sent as a jest let me take it said queen gorgo and after looking it all over she exclaimed there must be some writing underneath the wax they scraped away the wax and found a warning to leonidas from the grecian prisoner saying that xerxes was coming with his immense host to conquer all greece acting on this warning leonidas and the other kings assembled their armies and checked the mighty host of xerxes which is said to have shaken the earth as it marched i fear john knox's prayers 
more than an army of ten thousand men said mary queen of scotland the man behind the sermon said william m everts is the secret of john hall's power in fact if there is not a man with a character behind it nothing about it is of the slightest consequence thackeray says nature has written a letter of credit upon some men's faces which is honored wherever presented you cannot help trusting such men their very presence gives confidence there is a promise to pay in their very faces which gives confidence and you prefer it to another man's endorsement character is credit in the great monetary panic of eighteen fifty seven a meeting was called of the various bank presidents of new york city when asked what percentage of specie had been drawn during the day some replied fifty per cent some even as high as seventy five per cent but moses taylor of the city bank said we had in the bank this morning four hundred thousand dollars this evening four hundred seventy thousand dollars while other banks were badly run the confidence in the city bank under mr taylor's management was such that people had deposited in that institution what they had drawn from other banks character gives confidence there is no such thing as a small country said victor hugo the greatness of a people is no more affected by the number of its inhabitants than the greatness of an individual is measured by his height it is the nature of party in england said john russell to ask the assistance of men of genius but to follow the guidance of men of character a handful of good life says george herbert is worth a bushel of learning i have read emerson says that they who listened to lord chatham felt that there was something finer in the man than anything which he said it has been complained of carlyle that when he has told all his facts about mirabeau they do not justify his estimate of the latter's genius the Gracchi, agis cleomenes and others of plutarch's heroes do not in the record of facts equal their own fame sir philip sidney and sir walter raleigh are men of great figure and of few deeds we cannot find the smallest part of the personal weight of washington in the narrative of his exploits the authority of the name of schiller is too great for his books this inequality of the reputation to the works or the anecdotes is not accounted for by saying that the reverberation is longer than the thunderclap but something resided in these men which begot an expectation that outran all their performance the largest part of their power was latent this is that which we call character a reserved force which acts directly by presence and without means 
what others effect by talent or eloquence the man of character accomplishes by some magnetism half his strength he puts not forth his victories are by demonstration of superiority and not by crossing bayonets he conquers because his arrival alters the face of affairs o Eoli, how didst thou know that hercules was a god because answered Eoli, i was content the moment my eyes fell on him when i beheld theseus i desired that i might see him offer battle or at least drive his horses in a chariot race but hercules did not wait for a contest he conquered whether he stood or walked or sat or whatever else he did show me said omar the caliph to amru the warrior the sword with which you have fought so many battles and slain so many infidels ah replied amru the sword without the arm of the master is no sharper nor heavier than the sword of ferezdak the poet so one hundred and fifty pounds of flesh and blood without character is of no great value no man throws away his vote says francis willard when he places it in the ballot-box with his conviction behind it the party which elected lincoln in eighteen sixty polled only seven thousand votes in eighteen forty revolutions never go backward and the fanaticisms of to-day are the victories of to-morrow oh sir we are beaten exclaimed the general in command of sheridan's army retreating before the victorious early no sir replied the indignant sheridan you are beaten but this army is not beaten drawing his sword he waved it above his head and pointed it at the pursuing host while his clarion voice rose above the horrid din in a command to charge once more the lines paused turned and with the ocean's mighty swing when heaving to the tempest's wing they hurled them on the foe and the confederate army was wildly routed when the war with france seemed imminent in seventeen ninety eight president adams wrote to george washington then a private citizen in retirement at mount vernon we must have your name if you will permit us to use it there will be more efficacy in it than in many an army character is power when pope paul the fourth heard of the death of calvin he exclaimed with a sigh ah the strength of that proud heretic lay in riches no honors no but nothing could move him from his course holy virgin with two such servants our church would soon be mistress of both worlds eighteen hundred years ago when night closed over the city of pompeii a lady sat in her house nursing her son of ten years of age 
the child had been ill for some days his form was wasted his little limbs were shrunk and we may imagine with what infinite anxiety she watched every motion of the helpless one whose existence was so dear what did take place we know with an exactness very remarkable that distant mountain which reared its awful head on the shore of the bay vesuvius was troubled that same night with an eruption and threw into the air such clouds of pumice stones that the streets and squares of pompeii became filled and gradually the stones grew higher and higher until they reached the level of the windows there was no chance of escape then by the doors and those who attempted to get away stepped out of their first-floor windows and rushed over the sulphurous stones a short distance only for they were quickly overpowered by the poisonous vapors and fell dead after the stones there fell ashes and after ashes hot water fell in showers which changed the ashes into clay those who ran out of their houses during the fall of stones were utterly consumed while those who waited until the ashes began to fall perished likewise but their bodies were preserved by the ashes and water which fell upon them the pompeian mother we have mentioned opened the window of her house when she thought the fall of stones was over and with the child in her arms took a few hurried steps forward when overpowered by the sulphur she fell forward at which moment the shower of ashes began to fall and quickly buried mother and child the hot water afterward changed into a mold the ashes and the sun baked the fatal clay to such a degree of hardness that it has endured to the present day a short time ago the spot where mother and child lay was found liquid plaster of paris was poured into the mold formed by the bodies and then the mold was broken up leaving the plaster cast whole thus one touching incident in the terrible tragedy of eighteen centuries ago has been preserved for the admiration and respect of posterity the arms and legs of the child showed a contraction and emaciation which could only result from illness of the mother only the right arm was preserved she fell upon the ashes and the remaining portion of her body was consumed but the right hand still clasped the legs of the child on her arm were two gold bracelets and on her fingers were two gold rings one set with an emerald the other with a cut amethyst this touching illustration of a mother's love now rests in the museum of the celebrated city i was sitting with grant once says general fisk when a major-general entered dressed in the uniform of his rank who said boys i have a good story to tell you i believe there are no ladies present grant said no but there are gentlemen present 
mr george w childs in referring to this trait said another great trait of his character was his purity in every way i never heard him express or make an indelicate allusion in any way or shape there is nothing i ever heard that man say that could not be repeated in the presence of women the writer has heard of several incidents illustrating his answer to impure stories on one occasion when grant formed one of a dinner party of american gentlemen in a foreign city conversation drifted into references to questionable affairs when he suddenly rose and said gentlemen please excuse me i will retire when attila flushed with conquest appeared with his barbarian horde before the gates of rome in four fifty two pope leo alone of all the people dared go forth and try to turn his wrath aside a single magistrate followed him the huns were awed by the fearless majesty of the unarmed old man and led him before their chief whose respect was so great that he agreed not to enter the city provided a tribute should be paid to him wellington said that napoleon's presence in the french army was equivalent to forty thousand additional soldiers and richter said of the invincible luther his words were half battles i know of no great men says voltaire except those who have rendered great services to the human race men are measured by what they do not by what they seem or possess francis horner of england was a man of whom sidney smith said that the ten commandments were stamped upon his forehead the valuable and peculiar light in which horner's history is calculated to inspire every right-minded youth is this he died at the age of thirty-eight possessed of greater influence than any other private man and admired beloved trusted and deplored by all except the heartless and the base no greater homage was ever paid in parliament to any deceased member how was this attained by rank he was the son of an edinburgh merchant by wealth neither he nor any of his relatives ever had a superfluous sixpence by office he held but one and that for only a few years of no influence and with very little pay by talents his were not splendid and he had no genius cautious and slow his only ambition was to be right by eloquence he spoke in calm good taste without any of the oratory that either terrifies or seduces by any fascination of manner his was only correct and agreeable by what was it then merely by sense industry good principles and a good heart qualities which no well-constituted mind 
need ever despair of attaining it was the force of his character that raised him and this character was not impressed on him by nature but formed out of no peculiarly fine elements by himself there were many in the house of commons of far greater ability and eloquence but no one surpassed him in the combination of an adequate portion of these with moral worth horner was born to show what moderate powers unaided by anything whatever except culture and goodness may achieve even when these powers are displayed amidst the competitions and jealousies of public life a hundred years hence what difference will it make whether you were rich or poor a peer or a peasant but what difference may it not make whether you did what was right or what was wrong at a large dinner-party given by lord stratford after the crimean war it was proposed that every one should write on a slip of paper the name which appeared most likely to descend to posterity with renown when the papers were opened every one of them contained the name of florence nightingale professor blackie of the university of edinburgh said to a class of young men money is not needful power is not needful liberty is not needful even health is not the one thing needful but character alone is that which can truly save us and if we are not saved in this sense we certainly must be damned it has been said that when poverty is your inheritance virtue must be your capital hence it was said franklin speaking of the influence of his known integrity of character that i had so much weight with my fellow-citizens i was but a bad speaker never eloquent subject to much hesitation in my choice of words hardly correct in language and yet i generally carried my point when a man's character is gone all is gone all peace of mind all complacency in himself is fled forever he despises himself he is despised by his fellow-men within is shame and remorse without neglect and reproach he is of necessity a miserable and useless man he is so even though he be clothed in purple and fine linen and fare sumptuously every day it is better to be poor it is better to be reduced to beggary it is better to be cast into prison or condemned to perpetual slavery than to be destitute of a good name or endure the pains and the evils of a conscious worthlessness of character the time is soon coming when by the common consent of mankind it will be esteemed more honourable to have been john pounds 
putting new and beautiful souls into the ragged children of the neighborhood while he mended his father's shoes than to have sat upon the british throne the time now is when if queen victoria in one of her magnificent progresses through her realms were to meet that more than american queen miss dix in her circumnavigation of charity among the insane the former should kneel and kiss the hand of the latter and the ruler over more than a hundred millions of people should pay homage to the angel whom god has sent to the maniac at your age said to a youth an old man who had honorably held many positions of trust and responsibility both position and wealth appear enduring things but at mine a man sees that nothing lasts but character several eminent clergymen were discussing the qualities of self-made men they each admitted that they belonged to that class except a certain bishop who remained silent and was intensely absorbed in the repast the host was determined to draw him out and so addressing him said all at this table are self-made men unless the bishop is an exception the bishop promptly replied i am not made yet and the reply contained a profound truth so long as life lasts with its discipline of joy or sorrow its opportunities for good or evil so long our characters are being shaped and fixed milton said he who would write heroic poems must make his whole life an heroic poem we are responsible for our thoughts and unless we could command them mental and moral excellence would be impossible charles kingsley has well said let any one set his heart to do what is right and nothing else and it will not be long ere his brow is stamped with all that goes to make up the heroic expression with noble indignation noble self-restraint great hopes great sorrows perhaps even with the print of the martyr's crown of thorns said james martineau god insists on having a concurrence between our practice and our thoughts if we proceed to make a contradiction between them he forthwith begins to abolish it and if the will will not rise to the reason the reason must be degraded to the will when i say in conducting your understanding says sidney smith love knowledge with a great love with a vehement love with a love coeval with life what do i say but love innocence love virtue love purity of conduct love that which if you are rich and great will vindicate the blind fortune which has made you so and make them call it justice 
love that which if you are poor will render your poverty respectable and make the proudest feel that it is unjust to laugh at the meanness of your fortunes love that which will comfort you adorn you and never quit you which will open to you the kingdom of thought and all the boundless regions of conception as an asylum against the cruelty the injustice and the pain that may be your lot in the world that which will make your motives habitually great and honorable and light up in an instant a thousand noble disdains at the very thought of meanness and of fraud the arabs express this by a parable that incarnates as is their wont the word in the recital king nimrod say they one day summoned his three sons into his presence he ordered to be set before them three urns under seal one of the urns was of gold another of amber and the third of clay the king bade the eldest of his sons choose among the urns that which appeared to him to contain the treasure of greatest price the eldest chose the vase of gold on which was written the word empire he opened it and found it full of blood the second chose the amber vase whereon was written the word glory he opened it and found it contained the ashes of the great men who had made a sensation in the world the third son took the only remaining vase the one of clay he found it quite empty but on the bottom the potter had written the word god which of these vases weighs the most asked the king of the courtiers the men of ambition replied it was the vase of gold the poets and conquerors the amber one the sages that it was the empty vase because a single letter of the name of god weighs more than the entire globe we are of the opinion of the sages we believe the greatest things are great but in the proportion of divinity they contain although genius always commands admiration says smiles character most secures respect the former is more the product of brain power the latter of heart power and in the long run it is the heart that rules in life men of genius stand to society in the relation of its intellect as men of character of its conscience and while the former are admired the latter are followed commonplace though it may appear this doing of one's duty embodies the highest ideal of life and character there may be nothing heroic about it but the common lot of men is not heroic and though the abiding sense of duty upholds man in his highest attitudes it also equally sustains him in the transaction of the ordinary affairs 
of everyday existence the most influential of all the virtues are those which are the most in request for daily use they wear the best and last the longest we can always better understand and appreciate a man's real character by the manner in which he conducts himself toward those who are the most nearly related to him and by his transaction of the seemingly commonplace details of daily duty than by his public exhibition of himself as an author an orator or a statesman intellectual culture has no necessary relation to purity or excellence of character on the contrary a condition of comparative poverty is compatible with character in its highest form a man may possess only his industry his frugality his integrity and yet stand high in the rank of true manhood character is property it is the noblest of possessions it is an estate in the general goodwill and respect of men and they who invest in it though they may not become rich in this world's goods will find their reward in esteem and reputation fairly and honorably won without principles a man is like a ship without rudder or compass left to drift hither and thither with every wind that blows what a contrast is afforded by the lives of bacon and more bacon sought office with as much desire as more avoided it bacon used as much solicitation to obtain it as more endured to accept it and each when in it was equally true to his character more was simple as bacon was ostentatious more was as incorruptible as bacon was venal more spent his private fortune in office and bacon spent the wages of corruption there both left office poor in worldly goods but while more was rich in honor and good deeds bacon was poor in everything poor in the mammon for which he bartered his integrity poor in the god for which he sacrificed his peace poor in the presence of the worthless covered with shame in the midst of the people trusting his fame to posterity of which posterity is only able to say that the wisest of men was adviser to the silliest of kings yet that such a king had a sort of majesty when morally compared with the official director of his conscience both moore and bacon served each a great purpose for the world moore illustrated the beauty of holiness bacon expounded the infinitude of science bacon became the prophet of intellect more the martyr of conscience the one pours over our understandings the light of knowledge but the other inflames our hearts 
with the love of virtue all have read of the proud egyptian king who ordered a colossal staircase built in his new palace and was chagrined to find that he required a ladder to climb from one step to the next a king's legs are as short as those of a beggar so too a prince's ability to enjoy the pleasures of life is no greater than that of a pauper all that is valuable in this world is to be had for nothing genius beauty health piety love are not bought and sold the richest man on earth would vainly offer a fortune to be qualified to write a verse like milton or to compose a melody like mozart you may summon all the physicians but they cannot procure for you the sweet healthful sleep which the tired laborer gets without price let no man then call himself a proprietor he owns but the breath as it traverses his lips and the idea as it flits across his mind and of that breath he may be deprived by the sting of a bee and that idea perhaps truly belongs to another we live in deeds not years in thoughts not breaths in feelings not in figures on a dial we should count time by heart throbs he most lives who thinks most feels the noblest acts the best and he whose heart beats quickest lives the longest end of chapter twenty one recording by lucretia b